Please turn with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5. We are going to look at one of the Beatitudes, but so that we can remind ourselves of the, the focus and the, uh, the, the authority and the, the beauty with which Christ presents these truths, we'll read the whole little section in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 1 right down to verse 12. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12. But our our text this morning is verse 6. Let us hear God's word as we read it together. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. This is God's holy, perfect and inspired word given to us. Amen. It would be useful for you to have your Bible open at our text, Matthew 5 and verse 6. Maybe something that shows my age, uh, but it used to seem to me that every advert in a magazine or on TV uh, or even on the product itself, especially perhaps on the product itself, used to always have a little badge or a little stamp or a little tagline, satisfaction guaranteed. They were trying to sell you the product on the basis that this is the answer to all your desires. It will not disappoint you in any possible way. There used to be the clean easy man that used to come round our house uh, back uh, in Balamina and he had all these sorts of sprays. I think the only thing we ever used to buy off him was fly spray and things like that. But that was the sort of uh, product that had this on it. You'll not have a fly in the house if you use this fly spray. This is the best fly spray in the whole world. Nowadays, maybe they don't make such big claims given the the claims culture that we have and if anybody was only 99% satisfied with a hotel stay or a a cruise or something well then they would be out millions of pounds but still they do try and sell you products on the basis that this is the answer to all your desires this will not disappoint and nowadays being the modern world they give statistics The, the, the funny one used to be before they changed it Nine out of ten cats prefer whiskers. Uh, how they surveyed the cat's opinion on the cat food, I'm not sure. Then they changed it to owners. Or perhaps they say 85% of the, 
of ladies who tried this skin product found their skin softer or firmer or less wrinkles or whatever. Everybody always makes us great guarantees, great promises of certainty. But I think we all know that it's all just waffle. It's all just spin. It's advertising speak. But these Beatitudes, all of them come with 100% guarantees of satisfaction. And the promiser is Lord Jesus himself. And the one above all of these that 100% guarantees us satisfaction is the one, the beatitude that we're going to look at this morning. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not 85%. Everyone. Always. And completely satisfied. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be satisfied. And all I want to do this morning is really just uh, explain and open up and get us thinking about what Jesus means by this promise that he gives us. And I want to do so just by asking three straightforward and rather obvious questions about the text. Firstly, What does it mean to hunger and thirst? What does it mean to hunger and thirst? When you think about it, it's a bit strange. Because when we think of the words hunger and thirst, we think of states of being. We think of things that we suffer, perhaps. Things that we feel. But Jesus isn't describing a state of being. He's describing an activity. He's telling us hunger and thirst for this. And you will be satisfied. He's not saying if you feel hungry and thirsty for these things you'll be satisfied. He's telling us to hunger and thirst. He expects his disciples, those who are in the kingdom, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. They are to involve themselves in hungering and thirsting as an activity. Hunger and thirst here is not a passive experience that we go through. It's an activity that we are to engage in. What's he expecting of us? What is the subject of this beatitude? Well, hungering and thirsting is another way of describing our desires, our longings, our aspirations, what we search for, what we work for. It's describing what our chief priorities must be. Now, there are, of course, different kinds of desires. There are natural desires. There are spiritual, holy desires. And, of course, there are sinful desires. And even natural desires can be used sinfully. So, for example, we all have a natural desire for food and drink. That's what Jesus is building this imagery of. The fact that we all get hungry and we all get thirsty. And there's no sin in being hungry and thirsty. But we can turn that natural desire into something sinful by falling into the sin of gluttony or drunkenness. We can have a desire for financial security for our family, and that's a good thing. He who does not provide for his own family is is horribly sinful, the scriptures tell us. And yet that desire 
for financial security can be twisted by us into sinful covetousness. We can have a desire to do well in the world, for, in the world of sport, or in the world of business, or in the world of our, our, our employment, or, or in any way if you want. And yet that desire to, to do the best you can in your chosen career or sport can become sinful pride and arrogance, and of course can lead us away from the Lord. But Jesus is describing to us a desire, a longing, an aspiration, an effort that will never draw us away from him. But will in fact draw us to the closest possible, the greatest possible blessing that we can experience. He's describing to us what our primary desire should be. The desire that we should have above every other desire. The aspiration that we should have above every other aspiration. For righteousness. But that idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness isn't just the primary desire. The very fact that Jesus uses the word hunger and thirst tells us that he wants for us to understand it as a strong desire. Not just the primary desire, a strong desire. When you think of what discipleship is, when you think about what a, a consistent Christian life is, I wonder how you, how you would describe it. Some of us might first of all think of discipleship being about avoiding sin. And it certainly is. But Jesus is telling us this desire is not just to avoid sin, it's to be righteous, to be accounted righteous, to be viewed by God as righteous. It's a positive thing. It's not just avoiding something, it's becoming something. He's describing what we need to have as, a, as to be a very focused, a very deliberate, a very driven desire and longing and aspiration and we are near to put all our efforts into becoming righteous why such a primary strong desire for righteousness because as Jesus says and we'll think about this more later only this truly satisfies only this results in the blessedness <coughs> That he describes here. To put it in other terms. I think they are terms completely consistent with other sayings and teachings of Jesus. He is teaching us here first of all. That the satisfaction of every other desire. Every other aspiration will profit us little or nothing ultimately. Every other desire, every other aspiration, everything else we put our effort into, be it good and proper, will have no ultimate satisfaction flowing from it. But if you desire righteousness, you will experience true, lasting and eternal satisfaction. And so really the first application to come from this text is this. It, it, it should make us ask ourselves, what are we living for? What are you living for? What, what am I living for? What are our dreams and our aspirations? What do we long for above everything else? 
What are we ambitiously planning for? What are we putting effort into above everything else? You young people, that's a good question for you to ask at your stage in life, isn't it? Maybe some of you are picking subjects for GCSE or A-level. Maybe some of you are thinking about what secondary school you'll go to. Maybe you're just thinking you're homeschooled and you're thinking, well, I wonder what subjects I would like to study more of and learn more about. And uh, some of you fellows will be thinking about a, a career and some of you girls will be thinking about what you'll do. There's lots to think about. Lots to put time and energy into. But Jesus says the main thing that you need to think about, the main thing you need to plan for, is about your soul, about righteousness. It's a good thing for you as parents to think about. As you think about your children's future, what's the most important thing you should be trying to drive them towards, teach them about? Inspire them about. Shepherd them towards. Not good exam results. Whatever that import, their importance. Not a career. Not sporting prowess. All those things are good in the right order. But this is the main thing. None of those other things will bring satisfaction, happiness, contentment. Certainly not into eternity. But righteousness will. Righteousness will. It is good to desire success and happiness in life. But if that is your primary and strongest desire and longing and hunger and thirst, you're going to be disappointed. I'd like all the other Beatitudes, this one is exclusive. What Jesus says in verse 4, for example, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's only those who mourn over their sin. Who shall be comforted? The rest will not be comforted. When Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, what he means not only is that the merciful will receive mercy, but those who are unmerciful will not receive mercy. It's only those, exclusively those, who hunger and thirst are after righteousness that will gain this satisfaction, happiness, contentment and blessedness that Jesus is describing here. What are your desires? What are you longing for? What are you working for? What are you putting effort into? What's your priority in life? Is it like the celebrities to be famous? Is it like the sportsmen and women hungry for victory? Is it the politicians hungry for power and authority? Is it the businessman hungry for wealth? But all of those things will ultimately come short. I used to do a bit of running, as you know. It's great to get a personal best time in the 5K or a park run or something like that. But you know what a personal best in the park run does? It makes you want to go faster again. It doesn't satisfy Satisfies for about 10 seconds and you think, oh, I can go 10 seconds quicker next week if I put the effort in. There's not many celebrities get an Oscar and then retire. Or a hit single and then retire. No, they want more. It doesn't satisfy. The richest men and women in the world don't retire at 20 when they've got a billion pound, they want two billion pounds, three billion pounds, four billion pounds. None of these things satisfy. 
And of course, they don't satisfy when they die. Naked, we come into the world with no fame, no riches, no power, no authority, and that's how we will leave. That's what it means to hunger and thirst. It means to strive for, work at, pursue, chase after, desire, long for. And ultimately the reason why is because only righteousness will satisfy. But secondly, what is the righteousness that we are to hunger and thirst for? What is the righteousness that we are to hunger and thirst for? It's all well and good saying that we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness because that will satisfy. But what are we actually to do? Well, of course, you will know that there are two ways that righteousness is, to, uh, is used in Scripture. Or two main ways. I'm sure there's lots of other more specific ways in which we can define righteousness in particular tags. But really, there's two. There's the righteousness that... God grants to us by imputation, as it's called. He accounts the sinner righteous. He imputes to them. He, he, he looks at them as if they were as righteous as his son through justifying grace. But I'm going to suggest to you that that is not the kind of righteousness that Jesus is describing here. That's, that's incredibly important righteousness. But it's not the kind of righteousness that Jesus is telling us to pursue here. You need to pursue that righteousness. It's tied up with the whole theme, but it's not specifically that. The second way we can understand righteousness is in the sense not of how God looks at us through the lens of his son's righteousness, but as he looks at us in our own life. The second way we can understand righteousness is in terms of our holiness, our uprightness of life, our obedience to God's law, our ability to glorify God, our service to God, our devotion to God. That all comes into this kind of righteousness. Jesus is encouraging us in this text to pursue above everything else godliness. He's urging us to hunger and thirst after a life that matches his so far as we can. He is encouraging us to seek and pursue to put away sin so efficiently and put on obedience to God's word so efficiently that every day we live we'd become more and more like Jesus. He is urging us to try our hardest to put away every sin that so easily entangles us and to be like him. That's in fact the main way that Matthew uses the term righteousness in and around this Sermon on the Mount, or Jesus used it in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout Matthew's Gospel. Righteousness is the right thing to do. So for example in Matthew 5 verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that could be imputed righteousness. In a sense, it's because of our connection to Christ that we can suffer persecution. But I think above all else, it's because the holy life offends the wicked around us. That's where persecution comes from. 
We will be blessed not because we are persecuted for having Christ's righteousness accounted as us, which is essentially invisible in many ways, but because we are righteous in obedience to Christ. As confirmed later on in Matthew 5, where Jesus, thinking of the Pharisees, tells his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your manner of life is more consistent to God's word and less hypocritical than the Pharisees pretending to be holy but aren't, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness there is what we do, how we live. Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Well, obviously, that's our manner of living. Which is observable. On that basis, while we should of course seek to be justified by faith in Christ and be accounted righteous in the sight of God through faith in Christ, in this beatitude, Jesus is teaching us to pursue holiness and obedience, to thirst after Christ likeness in word and in thought and in deed. That's what the Psalm 15 tells us to do, isn't it? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. That's what Paul encourages Timothy to do. And through that writing to Timothy encourages us all to do. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with all those who call on the Lord with a pure heart or from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness and you will be satisfied. We see this is exactly how Jesus thought about his life. John 4 verse 34, my food, that which he hungered after is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what pursuing righteousness looks like. It means to hunger and thirst after being like Christ, knowing Christ more, loving Christ more intimately, honoring and pleasing Christ more consistently, obeying Christ's commands conscientiously. Is this your chief desire in life then? Under glorifying God, but this is the chief way we glorify God, is it to be more like Christ? Are you pursuing righteousness? In the midst of all the other things you have to give attention to, is the number one priority in your life to be more like Jesus Christ every day? If not, what is Because that's not going to satisfy. It's not going to give the blessedness that Jesus speaks of here. So we've thought about what it means to hunger and thirst. We've thought about the righteousness that we are to hunger and thirst after. It remains for us to think about the the final term. What does it mean to be satisfied? What does it mean to be satisfied? Well, I think we know that from experience. I'm sure we've all been to a nice meal, 
be it at home or in a restaurant. And it's just been incredible. The starters were perfect. The main course was delicious and, and, and generous. And the dessert was just fantastic. And the coffee rounded it off perfectly. That's what it means to be satisfied. To, to, to leave that restaurant thinking, that was brilliant. That was a great meal. I couldn't eat another thing. Couldn't drink another thing. I won't eat anything until the morning. There was nothing lacking in it, you see. There was nothing missing. It was everything that you hoped it would be and more. Of course, it doesn't need to be a luxurious feast at a restaurant. Sometimes if you've been out digging in the garden or working hard, maybe you've missed lunch if you come home and it's just good plain fare, a good bowl of stew. That satisfies as well. And you think, that was great. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. He's telling us that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will have that contentment, that sense of fullness and blessedness. There will be nothing lacking in our experience. Good illustration is the feeding of the 5,000. Mark 8, verse 8, for instance, they all ate and were satisfied. But what does Jesus mean by satisfaction here in this beatitude? We know what it means to be satisfied with food and drink. Well, he's telling us that we will actually become what we hunger for here and now. We will become righteous. He's promising a day ahead when we will be righteous, full stop. Because we're not now, are we? We still have remaining sin. We still struggle with temptation. We will actually, however, Jesus says, if we desire righteousness and long and work for righteousness, there's a day coming when we will actually be righteous. We are to strive for holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. But who of us is striving to be holy the way we ought to? And who of us have accomplished holiness like we should pursue? None of us. That's why we have to have that two-part understanding of Psalm 15. This is our target, but we'll never hit it. But Christ has. We know all too well that we struggle with controlling our tongue. We lie, we're harsh, we're angry. We struggle with our thoughts, we desire, we covet, we lust. But if we are genuinely desiring to be like Jesus, the day is coming when we will be like Jesus perfectly, so far as we can as creatures. That's something that we probably don't think much about. When you think about heaven and the blessedness of eternal life, I wonder how you think about it. In what terms do you think about it? Well, one of the primary ways in which Scripture describes the blessedness of eternal life is to be like Jesus. Think of Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. For what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. 
This is what Jesus means us to be. If we hunger to be conformed to the image of his son, we will actually become the images of Jesus Christ. Think about Philippians 3 verse 20 and 21. Paul's describing the trials and the difficulties of living in this fallen world and fallen bodies and with remaining sin and all the rest of it. And he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are we waiting on, Paul says? He says this, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, never mind our soul, to be like his glorious body. We will become, by pursuing righteousness now, first of all, by being accounted righteous through faith in Christ, and then by faithfully pursuing to be like Christ, we will actually reach that point. But only if we hunger after righteousness and keep our eye on the Saviour. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness in a sense is the beginning of a process that ends in perfect conformity to Jesus Christ in heaven. We read in Psalm 65, verse 4, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. See how important it is to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It's only by hungering and thirsting after righteousness, receiving that righteousness by faith and faithfulness, that we can have this true, real, certain, happy, expectant hope of dwelling in the Lord's house. What if you're hungering and thirsting after something else? If you're here this morning and you're really not that sure what I'm talking about. Not just because I'm not explaining it right, but because you really don't know Christ. You haven't had your sins forgiven. You're still his enemy. And therefore, you are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You're hungering and thirsting after a bank balance. And you're hungering and thirsting after fame or fun or pleasure or power. You wake up in the morning and think to yourself, how will I get richer or more happier today? And Jesus and God's word doesn't come into the equation at all. Well, there's no, there's no satisfaction. You'll find those things will not give you happiness or contentment in this life. But they will most certainly not give you happiness and contentment when you die or if Christ returns. Because if you hunger and thirst after those things, the end is hell and eternal punishment. And eternal misery because you refused Jesus Christ as Savior. And so Jesus would want me to say to you this morning, wise up. 
Levi aside all those foolish other desires and longings and aspirations and see that the one thing needful is that your soul is right to meet with the Lord God who has the power and the authority to cast into hell or to invite into heaven. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to God through Jesus Christ. Ask God to forgive you for your sins. Ask God to change your desires. Ask God to give you a hunger and a thirst after less righteousness. To be with Christ. To be like Christ. And he will give you those things. And he will make this promise to you. You will be satisfied. You will be happy and blessed for all eternity without end. These beatitudes comfort us and encourage us, but they also challenge us. They challenge us to ask ourselves quite a searching question. Do we really believe what Jesus says here? Do we really believe that contentment and happiness and blessedness now and forever is found in hungering and thirsting after righteousness above everything else? Are some of us, even as God's people, doubting that and thinking, well, I can see that's important, but you know, I, I have so many concerns and so many other things I have to prioritize. No. There's no contentment and satisfaction and blessing in those things and in of themselves. We don't second guess God. We don't replace Jesus' instruction here with our own methods of gaining blessedness and satisfaction. We need to listen to what he says to us. We need to listen to what he said to us in Isaiah 55 in our call to worship. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Feed on God's word this morning. Respond to it with faith and faithfulness. And if you haven't been doing so, pray and put all your efforts into pursuing righteousness with a new violence and effort so that you have this. So that you can look forward to this. So that you can gain the happiness and the contentment that you long for. But have been looking for in the wrong places. Jesus promises us. 100% guarantees it to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. May God bless his word to us this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we do pray that you will teach us and help us to truly believe these promises. That the goodness of your house, O oh God, will surely satisfy. And that we will be satisfied within your holy temple high. Help us also to believe that what Jesus says to us applies to the present time. All too easily we fall into a pattern of seeking satisfaction 
in things that cannot and will not give us this joy, this happiness, this blessedness, this communion with you. So, Lord, we pray that you will teach us this morning to hunger and thirst after righteousness. To put our faith, first of all, in Jesus Christ as the perfectly righteous one and to gain an entrance into heaven through what he has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection. But then to long and desire to walk like him in his footsteps with the expectation and anticipation of being fully conformed to his image in the age to come. We pray, Lord, that you will teach us these things by your Spirit. We pray for any who are here whose affections and longings and desires are completely different from that. We know the pressure. We all feel the pressure. But we pray, Lord, that you would draw such people to see that they are merely trusting in the broken cisterns and that true happiness and joy now and forever is to be found in this righteousness accorded to us and developed in us. Teach us these things, we pray, as we ask in Jesus' name. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.